people are thirsty. There's a lot of thirsty people in the world. Um, friends of ours, they, they told me a story not too long ago. They, they, they told me a story about a party they were hosting. And it sounded like a great party. Lots of food, lots of people, good conversations, just a bunch of fun. And then as the, as the party was getting over, as everyone was leaving, they, they go to the door and they're, they're just saying goodbye to everybody, saying their goodbyes. And, and my friend, he kind of broke away from the party because there was one guy who just wasn't at the door, he wasn't leaving yet. And so he was just going to check on him, trying to find out where he was. And he walked over to the kitchen and when he, when he walked in, he noticed that the man was there, the refrigerator door was open, and he was drinking straight from their milk carton. He, he didn't quite know what to do at that moment. And so he just kind of walked away and, and pretended like he didn't see anything and went back to just saying his goodbyes. And then later that evening, um, he's laying in bed with his wife. And you can just imagine how the conversation goes, right? I mean, he says to her, honey, um, you should probably know that when I went to find this guy, he was in our kitchen just drinking straight from our milk carton. She just shot up, stood up straight in bed, says, what? What happened? Yeah, he was drinking straight from our milk carton. Well, that moment, I mean, she just got the heebie-jeebies, you know, and she launched out of bed, went to the kitchen, dumped out the milk, and just Cloroxed the whole thing. <laughs> but people are thirsty. You know, we, we, we live in a culture of thirsty people. Not just thirsty, though, for milk or water, but, you know, people are thirsty for, for satisfaction, for joy, for happiness. I mean, it's in our Declaration of Independence, right? That, that we have the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I just found out this week as I was reading that Virginians, that, uh, that George Mason wrote in the Declaration of Rights for Virginia, he wrote, all men are by nature equally free and have certain inherent rights. And then he goes on to define those rights, one of which pursuing and obtaining happiness. See, he, he just took it one step further. People are thirsty for happiness. We want to be happy. We want to live satisfied lives. But all too often in the pursuit of happiness, we pursue the wrong things. Because we live in an upside-down world that tells us, if you do these things, you'll be happy. And Jesus comes along and he turns the upside-down world on its head. And he says, no, 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 the world's thinking has got it all wrong. If you want to be happy, here's what you ought to pursue. And he points to places that the world would never dream of looking. We started our series last week, how to live right side up in an upside down world. And we looked at the first two Beatitudes where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who desperately recognize their need of God. And then blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who realize how unlike God they are and who mourn over their sin and who mourn over a world that is not as it should be. And now we continue in Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. You can go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. And just as a reminder, Jesus, he's, he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount, probably the best known sermon ever preached. And as he's preaching, he's primarily preaching to the disciples, but, but you get the idea that the crowds are just pressing in too, that they want to hear everything this miracle-working rabbi is going to say, and you get the sense that they are just floored by what Jesus is saying. It, it says as much in Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that the crowds were astonished. 
They were floored. They couldn't believe it because they had never heard teaching like this before. It says he taught not as one of their teachers of the law. Uh, He taught with his own authority. See, every other rabbi, every other teacher that they would have ever heard would have always taught on the basis of another rabbi's teaching. They would have always appealed to the knowledge, to the authority of someone else. In fact, that's what I'm doing this morning, right? I mean, I'm appealing to the knowledge and to the wisdom of God, to the wisdom of Scripture. If I were here this morning, I would say, hey, I know you've read the Bible, but here's what Steve thinks. That would be very scary, and hopefully you would leave, because you don't want to know what I think. We have a greater authority, and so we appeal to that authority. But Jesus, he does something altogether different. He's the perfect God-man, and so he's able to preach and teach on the basis of his own authority. Because as God, he can do that. And so he, he, he comes along and he says, here's how to be blessed. Here's how to have joy. Here's how to be happy. Here's how to live right side up in an upside down world. And the crowds are astonished because their thinking is out of whack. And oftentimes our thinking is out of whack too, just by nature of living in an upside down world. Let's go ahead and look how Jesus just begins to reshape our thinking. Matthew 5, verses 5 and 6, it reads, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus says here, blessed are the meek. Last week, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, and now it's the meek. And again, the world just shakes her head and says, no, 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 no. If you want to be happy, you definitely don't want to be meek. I mean, the meek, they don't inherit the earth. The meek get ground into the earth. The the meek, they're the ones who get taken advantage of. They're the ones who get run over. They're the ones who get passed over and left behind and forgotten. This is no way to live a happy, a joyful, a blessed life. It's definitely not blessed are the meek, the world will tell you. The world says if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have joy... Well, then it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. You, you got to make a little noise. You got to let people know you're there. You, you got to let them know that you mean business. Put a little bit of fear in them. And if you do that, then you will run the world. But, but the meek, they, no, 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 no. They're not going to inherit the world at all. See, Jesus, he takes the upside down logic of the world and he just spins it on its head. And he says, no, blessed are the meek. And I want to define biblical meekness for you this morning so that we all understand exactly what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the meek. And in order to do that, I'm going to need some help, okay? You know, at this church, we're big into families and kids, and we got VBS coming. we got an exciting time this morning. So all the kids out here, if y'all can just come up, because I need your help explaining biblical meekness this morning. So any kids, come on up. I, I really do. I need your help. I can't do it without you. Awesome. This is going to be fun. So, hey, I'm going to split you all into three groups, okay? So let's, let's have one group over here. Let's have a group of kids right over here. Yeah, this will be great. This will be great. All of y'all right here. That's great. Okay, another group right here in the middle. And then some of you, follow me. Follow me right over here. Okay. All right, this is going to be great. Just, just make your way to one of these three different groups. All right, this is going to be good. Hey, are you guys ready for VBS? Getting excited? Awesome, awesome, me too. Okay, so 
in order to help me, let's, let's make these groups a little more compact. So I'm going to have y'all just kind of go over a little bit. Y'all squeeze in. And let's um, go over y'all this way to make sure we've got our three separate groups. This is great. And in order to help me um, explain biblical meekness this morning, first I've got to take y'all to Greek class. Okay, anybody, any of y'all know Greek? No? Okay, all right. Well, then we're going to have some fun. So in the Greeks, they use this word pros. P, we transliterate it P-R-A-U-S. And that's the word we find in our Bible for meekness, okay? And the, and the Greeks, they used this word to describe different things in culture, all right? One of the things they used to describe uh, with the word meek was fire, okay? So I'm going to need y'all to help, help make some fire with me, okay? So you're going to be my sound effects team, all right? So you got to go pop, 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 okay? We're like a fire, okay? Pop, 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 pop. Can you do that? Let's try Okay, do your fingers too. Let's get it going. Pop, 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 pop. Pop, 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 pop. Good. Keep it going. Keep the sound effects going. This is good. And so a meek fire is like a fire in a fireplace. It's, it's contained. It's small. It brings some warmth. And uh, it's, like a, it's also like a fire, like at a fire pit or something. You could, you could roast marshmallows over it or a hot dog over it. But, and that's the whole idea of a meek fire. And this is one of the terms that the Greeks would use to describe that. Think, you guys are great. Hang on, though, because I'm going to come back. I'm going to need you again. So remember your fire, because we're going we're gonna to come back to that. All right? Okay, group number two. You all ready? So another, another word that the, that the Greeks used to, with meek to describe something was... Uh, a breeze, okay? So there was a meek breeze, all right? So I need y'all to do your hands like this and just go whoosh, 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 all right? Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Okay, then don't do it with that arm, just maybe the other arm. Yeah, there you go. All right. All right, so a meek breeze is a breeze like on a hot day when it's, when it's really hot outside and you just get, it, you get a breeze and it's refreshing. It feels good. It, it, it's, it's enough of a breeze to, to fly a kite or maybe to sail a boat or something. But that's a meek breeze. Great job. Okay, hang on. I'm going to come back to y'all. Okay, lastly, the Greeks also use this word meek to describe medicine. Okay? So here's what I need y'all to do. Just kind of cover your mouth and pretend like you're coughing. Okay? Can you do that? <laughs> All right. You can try though, right? At least, at least fake it, you know? At least just put your mouth, your, okay. Anyway, so keep it going. Give, give me a little sound effect. Help me out. So anyway, meek medicine was a small, just a dose of medicine, just the right dosage to help somebody who is sick feel better. So you can get better and just enjoy life and have fun again, right? This is meek medicine. So there was fire, there was a breeze, and there was medicine. And the Greeks used this word meek to describe these different things. Okay, well, just a little bit of each is really good. But if you had a lot, well, that could be dangerous, okay? So, hey, kids, I know that when you got to church this morning, your parents probably told you, be quiet in church, you know, listen really well. And that's really good advice, okay? I want you to hang on to that. But right now, I'm going to need your help, okay? Because I need fire, and I need a breeze, and I need medicine that's out of control, okay? So on the count of three, I need you all to get as loud as you can, all right? Here we go. One, two, three. Go for it. <laughs> awesome. 
Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Great job. Give our sound effects team a hand. All right. Hey, y'all can go find your parents again. Thank you so much. Y'all have got a future in Hollywood on a sound effects team somewhere. I know it. So the fire, the breeze, the medicine, what do they all have in common? Like in, in a small dose, it can all be comforting. It can be refreshing. It can be helpful. But if you get any one of those out of control, if you get a fire that's out of control, what does it do? It burns everything down. If you get a breeze that's out of control, then you got wind, you got a tornado, you got a hurricane, it blows everything over. If you get medicine that's out of control, you overdose and it can be life-threatening. Okay? The idea of biblical meekness is power under control. Okay, power under control. As you go through these beatitudes, you'll see that everything Jesus is calling us to be, he is already. Jesus himself is meek. It's why he could stand before Pilate and be silent as he was accused. Because he was not there to defend himself. He had this power that was under control. But our God is not a weak God. He's an omnipotent, all-powerful God, but he's able to stay in control of that power always, never out of control. Meekness is power in control. Meekness is not weakness. And so knowing that, and knowing that we've been saved and that, that God has given us his Holy Spirit, we now have all this power at our disposal, we can continue to live like the world. We have the power to do that, the power to continue to live according to the flesh. Or we have the power now to live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And so meekness, it causes us to die to self, to die to self. See, true happiness comes in no longer living for me. No longer relying on my power, my theories, my skill, my charisma. True happiness is found in dying to self. I'm now controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm now relying on the wisdom of another. I'm trusting that God knows what's best for my life even better than I do. This is biblical meekness. It's the whole idea that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And here's what biblical meekness looks like. It's when I come to the Bible and when I study the Bible or when someone teaches the Bible to me and I see how my life just does not quite add up. Rather than trying to make defenses and say, well, you know, I'm going to justify my behavior here and here's why it doesn't quite look, out, look the way it ought. No, what biblical meekness does is it says, no, 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 God, help me, conform me into the image of your son. Show me, expose any of those areas in my life that does not look the way that it ought. And help me then to look like you. Help me then to represent you well to my culture. Help me then to be the type of man, the type of woman, the type of child that you've called me to be. Help me to have the relationships that you've called me to have. Whatever needs to be changed in my life, I'll change. I'm not going to defend sin in my life. I want to look like you. This is what biblical meekness does. It means when, when I'm engaging people in my neighborhood or in my community, I want to be that gentle breeze that just comes alongside and is able to defend my faith with gentleness and respect to help people see the love of Jesus. Let, let, let them know the gospel. I'm not going to be bold. I'm not, I'm not going to be silent about it. I'm going to be bold with it. But I'm, but I'm going to do it in a gentle and a respectful way. It's, it's when I see others in sin 
that I don't, I don't just put my hands up and say, you know what, I know that brother or sister's going to heaven, so I'm just kind of going to overlook it. I'm just going to ignore it. No, no, it's that just the right dose of medicine that comes along and says, no, no, I'm pleading with you that you would not stay trapped in your sin, but that you would be able to move on from this, that you would have the relationship, the fellowship with Jesus and believers that you ought to have. So I want to bring just that right dose of medicine to you. This is biblical meekness. If you want to be happy, you will die to yourself. And in dying to yourself, you'll live for others. Live for others. This is Jesus. You know, he stands before Pilate and he's silent. He does not defend himself. But instead, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were in the midst of our sin, while we were enemies of God, while we were in total rebellion against the God of the universe, Jesus lived for us and gave his life for us. You know, it's easy to live for ourselves because we think so much of ourselves. We think about ourselves all the time. It's what we see in the mirror every day. We think of ourselves. It's easy to live for our kids. We think about our kids a lot. You know, we, it's easy to defend our kids. It's easy to defend ourselves. But would you be willing to live for someone who does not love you back? Would you be willing to live for your neighbors, for, for those in your community who, who think you're nuts for following Jesus? Would you be willing to live for those who, who you work with, who marginalize you and even look down upon you because you love Jesus? Would you be willing to live for those people? See, true meekness is is the power to do that. It's this power under control that that, that when you can love people who will not love you back, that when you're able to love people who will slander you, who will start false rumors about you, you, when you can love people who will marginalize you or put you to the side, that's power under control. Jesus demonstrated it perfectly for each of us. Are we able to love our communities like that? Can we love the people in our influence that way? That's meekness. And here's the promise. That the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. It's a future promise. And it's as good as a guarantee. We know what's going to happen. And you know, you will inherit the earth. Typically when you receive an inheritance, it happens when somebody dies, Right? Somebody dies, and that's when you get, that's when you receive the inheritance. In this case, it's we who die. In the case of meekness, it's when we die to ourselves, to our wants, to our demands, to our rights, to our will, to having things go our way, that when you're willing to die for that, then you'll find true happiness. See, only when you are Finish with yourselves. Are you really free to revel in the inheritance as a co-heir of Christ? See, see the meek are able to be happy even when they're mistreated. The, the meek can have joy even when they're stepped on, ignored, betrayed, because they're no longer living for themselves. Life is not about them. It's about Jesus. It's about others. That's, that's where their greatest joy, that's where their greatest fulfillment, that's where greatest satisfaction comes from. And so you know that you will inherit the earth. That They have this perspective that can see just a little bit further down the line. They're living for the glory of God. They're not living for their own glory. 
That they know that because of their relationship with Jesus, they'll, they'll one day rule the world right alongside of him. And there's happiness in meekness. But the world would never lead you there. Only the Savior will show you that way. And he goes on and he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, the, the world hears this and the world laughs and says, righteousness? Like hunger and thirst for righteousness? No, 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 no. Come on, of all the things you can hunger and thirst for, if you want to be happy, you should hunger and thirst for power. You should hunger and thirst for pleasure. You should hunger and thirst after your dreams, after your desires, after your passions. You should hunger and thirst for that promotion. You should hunger and thirst for retirement. These are the things you should hunger and thirst for. But righteousness, I mean, come on. If you've got to cut a few corners along the way, it'll be okay. That's just life. See, th- th- this is the path that the world will lead you on towards happiness, toward joy, towards blessing. And as Jesus is explaining these beatitudes, something incredible is happening because he's taking us on this progression. Did you notice this? Do you see this ladder that he's kind of building? First, it's, it's blessed are the poor in spirit. People who realize that they have this desperate need for God. That I, I need God more than I need my next breath. This, this is how bad I need him. And once you understand that and your need for God, then you realize you begin to look at God and who he is. And you realize how different you are. And so you mourn. You mourn over your sin, how much unlike God you are and how the world is not as it should be. So you mourn for your sin and you mourn over your community in a lost and dying world. And as you do that, then, then, then something incredible happens. You realize that there is this power at your disposal because you have the Holy Spirit, but you're no longer trying to defend yourself. Now you wish to defend God. And so there's this meekness that takes place because I'm living for another It's this power under control. And so I'm meek, and now it's blessed are the meek. And as you begin to live for him, as this power under control, living for God, then something else happens. And you say, now now what I really hunger and thirst for, what really gets me going, is this desire to live for Christ. So, So we're building here. There's this progression through the Beatitudes as we're being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And this one here, hunger and thirst for righteousness, this term righteousness is often misunderstood. There's one type of righteousness that's given to us at salvation, this objective righteousness. When a sinner is saved, your sin is removed from you. And not only that, the righteousness of Christ is given to you. It's imputed to you. It's put on you. God no longer sees you in your sin, but he sees you in the righteousness of Christ. And that's an, incre- that's an incredible gift, an incredible blessing. But this isn't the type of righteousness that Jesus is talking about here. This isn't the type of righteousness that Jesus is saying that we hunger and thirst for because that righteousness is already given. That's already a given. He's talking now about a more subjective type of righteousness. He's talking about living right for God. That if you really want to be happy, that if you really want to be blessed, if you really want to have joy, if you really want to be satisfied, then you'll passionately desire to please God with your life. You will so hunger and thirst to please God. You'll so hunger and thirst to live a righteous life. 
The, the world will tell you that to live a righteous life is to live a boring life. That, that, that righteousness, you know, that, that's this holier-than-thou type of attitude that's boring. You're setting yourselves apart from other people. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not a holier-than-thou type of attitude at all. Because you recognize you're poor in spirit. You recognize just how unlike God you are. It's not holier-than-thou. It's simply holier-than-that. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference in wanting to live a right life before God and thinking that in any way that I'm somehow superior to anybody else. No, no, this, this is a life of humility, but, but it's a life that craves to please God with everything we've got. An upside-down world tells you to hunger and thirst for righteousness will leave you frustrated. It will leave you alone because it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. But when you passionately desire to please God, this amazing thing happens. Jesus says, you'll be satisfied. You'll be filled. You'll be happy. The the world cannot promise any such thing. The, The promises of the world, there is always this tug, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. See, the world always leaves you wanting more. It never quite fulfills, maybe momentarily at best, but then you wake up the next day and you say, oh, just a little bit more. I could always have that bigger bank account. I can always have that nicer home, that nicer car there. I could always get that promotion. I could always have more power. There could always be more people to love me, more people to pat me on the back and tell me how good I am. There's all, there can always be just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And Jesus says with this, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you can be filled, (laughs) that that you can be satisfied. This is an amazing promise because the world always keeps the happiness just beyond your fingertips. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you can be filled. The, The world can never tell you how to be filled. It will always leave you wanting. Only Jesus can lead to a life of true satisfaction, true fulfillment, true joy. Jesus says when we passionately desire to please God, there's lasting satisfaction there. And it's so much more lasting, so much more fulfilling than what the world would ever lead you to because it's not based on results. It's just based on faithfulness. The result is it's a result-oriented world. What's the bottom line? That's what the world, that's the question the world will ask. Jesus does not ask that question. He says, hey, your responsibility is to have gospel conversations with people. He's not asking, okay, are all the people you're sharing the gospel with, how many of them came to came to know me? No, he's simply asking the question: Are you having gospel conversations? Our responsibility is simply to be faithful. It's the same thing with any of his commands. Like you look at how husbands and wives ought to treat one another and there's this mutual love and, that takes place and he's asking the question or he's giving us the command that, hey, no matter what, regardless of what the other person does, your responsibility is to be faithful. As parents, your responsibility is to train your children. As, as believers, our responsibility is to greet one another, to love one another. And there's a whole list of one another's that we're supposed to do. 
it is always, irregardless of what the other person does, whether they greet me or encourage me back or not, it doesn't matter. I'm still to greet and encourage and love you. Whether my kids grow up and, and, and they follow the way that I pray and, oh, and train them to, my responsibility is to train. I leave the results of that training ultimately to God. I, I leave the results of the gospel conversations that I have ultimately to God. I, I leave the results of, of my marriage and my love for my wife ultimately to God. I simply must be faithful. This is the calling of hunger and thirst for righteousness. I simply desire to please God. And in doing that, I don't have to look at the fruit. I just have to look at the root. And that's how you develop an appetite for serving God. You focus on Jesus. And you say, Jesus, what would you, have me, what would you want to teach me? And you study his word. Don't just read the Bible. I mean, really study it. I want to mind this thing for all it's worth. Conform me into your image. Teach me how to live. Teach me how to love. Because th this is the purpose of Scripture, to equip us for every good work. So let's read it. Let's study it. Let's mine it. I mean, this is Ezra. He purposed in his heart to study the law, to live it, and then to teach it. It's the longest chapter of the longest book of the Bible, Psalm 119. And it's all about the character of the Bible. And the psalmist, he uses this beautiful acrostic from A to Z. And he just expounds as if the nature and the character of Scripture can just be uh, gone over, over and over and over again without end the benefits that come from his word. See, the life of knowing God, this, this life is not a life to be missed. Because there is satisfaction, there is fulfillment, and the world can never offer that. When you study God's word for yourself and you ask the question, just God, what did you intend by this? Not what does it mean to me, but, but God, what did you intend in your word? And, and then you see wisdom so deep from the beatitude. You, you see poetry that's so imaginative, narrative so captivating, letters so riveting, all pointing to a loving God who's pursuing a relationship with you that he may be seen as holy. It's not about pursuing happiness. See, this is the lie of the world that you are to pursue happiness in order to be happy. It's not that at all. It's about surrendering to God's love and his grace and becoming happy because now you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Imagine with me just for a moment that you haven't eaten in weeks. Yeah, you're, you're just starving. For whatever reason, you just haven't been able to eat anything and you are starving. And somebody comes along and says, hey, what would you like? I mean, all you're thinking about is, hey, give me a piece of bread. Just give me some food, right? See, a hungry man, a starving man, he doesn't want bread and a better house. He, he doesn't want bread and more friends. He doesn't want bread and a job promotion. He just wants the bread. In the same way, somebody who is dying of thirst is in the middle of the desert, and, and they, they're just dying of thirst. They don't want water and a new car. They, they, they don't want water and anything else. They just want the water. 
Nothing else matters. Perhaps the reason that so many Christians are are leading unsatisfied lives is because they want to please Jesus, sure. But they want to please Jesus and please themselves. They, They want to honor God, and at the same time, they want to be seen as honored. They, they, they want to love God, but at the same time, they, they want God to give them this, 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 and this. You see, a hungry person, a thirsty person, someone who is really dying of hunger, who's really dying of thirst, all they want is the bread and the water. Jesus is saying, are you starving to please God? Is this all you want? Is this the sole focus of who you are, that you would live a life that's right before him? Because if that's all you're about, then you'll have happiness. But you might not recognize that your lack of thirst for righteousness is actually your greatest obstacle to happiness. Speaking of obstacles to happiness... Did you know there are over 8 million cats in New York City? I know. You might be a cat person if you are. I'm sorry. But there, yeah, I just found out there are over 8 million cats in New York City. And so when, it, when you have to dispose of a cat, when there's a dead animal in New York City, you know, it's such a cement city that you just can't go to your backyard and bury the cat, right? And so the city charges uh, $50 to dispose of a dead animal for you. And so I was reading that one lady in New York City, that that she had this grand idea. She thought, well, I can do better than that. And so she placed ads that she can dispose of dead cats for $25. And so she started getting phone calls. You know, people calling her up and saying, hey, I'll take you up on that. And so what she did was she went to a local thrift store, would buy a suitcase for a couple of dollars, go over, collect the cat, put the cat in the suitcase, then hop on the New York subway in the afternoon. She'd take, take the suitcase, put it right by the door of the subway, and she'd stand back for a little bit and just wait. And sooner or later, someone would come by and just grab the suitcase and take off running. <laughs> she'd yell, stop, thief, stop, thief. You know, let him go. <laughs> the world is running to suitcases that will never satisfy. They think these suitcases hold the key to happiness. But you open it up. (laughs) And it's not very good. The world just can't deliver. Only Jesus can deliver. You can live a life that's satisfied, that's filled. But you must hunger and thirst to live right before him. That nothing else matters. This is all I'm about. This is who he has called me to be. This is who he has saved me to be. And if you'll do that, you'll find true happiness. See, true happiness is found in meekness, and it's found in hungering and thirsting for righteousness among these other beatitudes that we're studying. This is how to live right side up in an upside down world.
Heavenly Father, thank you for how you empower us to live life the way it ought to be. God, forgive us for when we look to our own power, when we trust in our own wisdom and our own understanding, and we fail to lean on you. God, God, forgive us for when we hunger and thirst for the things of this world rather than hungering and thirsting to live for you. So right now, I just want to give everyone just a moment to pray themselves. If there's anything that you'd like to pray about, confess before God, just ask God for, for strength to live life the way he intends it to be lived. I'm, I'm just going to give you that moment. If you'd like to come forward and, and pray up here at the stage, you're more than welcome to do that as well.